This morning that prepared our hearts. Heavenly Father, may we continue to find room in our heart, Lord, for Thee, for Your Son. Father, we as Your children allow the things of this world to take the room in our heart. And it seems that Your Son then is pushed aside. Father, I pray that we might understand what it means to let Christ have the preeminence in our life. And now we ask your blessing upon the word, and I pray that you would speak, and we will listen. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me this morning, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start there, but then we're going to move. But starting in Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're continuing a series I titled Christmas Fruit. Christmas Fruit. And if you recall our first segment that we studied, we studied the first fruit. Uh, and again, this is referring to uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Some of the fruits of the Spirit that we find in Galatians chapter 5. Now, as, as I mentioned last time, uh, when we... When we opened, uh, you know, fruit is given as a gift uh, at this time of the year. And some people give what's called fruitcake to people. And, uh, and I shared with you that uh, uh, that's the last thing on earth I would like to receive as a gift. So I mentioned that in the last message. Then during the week, one of our teens... Uh, here at Jonestown Bible Church, gave me a gift. Tony Miller is the one. Is Tony here? Yeah, he's here. Look for the guy in the red shirt. All right. You know what he gave me? Mountain Dew Fruit Quake. <laughs> it's a drink. Mountain Dew Fruit Quake, like earthquake, fruit quake. Yeah, do with a blast of artificial fruitcake flavor. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> I, I never knew they made this stuff. And so I'm looking at it, I'm going, I'm never going to drink that, that's for sure. <laughs> but can you imagine 10 years from now, I'll have it on my shelf? Oh, my goodness. But thank you, Tony. That was hilarious. Anyway, <clears throat> we're, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit that should be evident in all our lives. And there are a number of fruits of the Spirit the Apostle Paul shares with us in Galatians chapter 5. But this is a three-part series. And so I'm just taking three of the fruits, and we are going to study them. So the last one, the first one was love. But today, we look at a second Christmas fruit, a fruit of the Spirit, and that is called joy. Joy. Now, when you think of Christmas, that's one of the first words you hear sung or spoke about, right? We sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. And all throughout the Christmas story, we see uh, elements of joy. Look with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 46. 
This is Mary here. Okay. Mary, I'm sorry. Uh, This is, yes. Look what Mary said. Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has what? Rejoiced in God my Savior. She couldn't believe that she was chosen by the Lord to carry the Son of God, the Messiah. And so her heart rejoiced in God her Savior. And then we drop down over to Luke chapter 2. So slide over to Luke chapter 2. And let's begin at verse 8. Again, the familiar account of uh, the Christmas story. But now we pick it up with the shepherds. Verse 8 of chapter 2. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news or glad tidings of what? Great joy. There it is. Which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the Christ. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things and pondering them in her heart. But then verse 20, and the shepherds went back. They returned to their stinky sheep, their old job. But they went back. What what did they do? Glorifying and praising God for that, for all that they had seen and heard as had been told them. They went back here again. The shepherds showed joy over the Christ child. The angels Mary, we see it all throughout the account here. And yet, you know, when we look around, we come to Christmas, the Christmas season, and you look around, and how much joy do you really see? Do you, the world tries to be happy and, and, and think that, okay, this is a great time of celebration, and even Christians, but it seems that the one thing that is missing during this time of year is real joy, is, is joy. And we are going to focus on this word, joy, this morning, this fruit of the Spirit. Now, we see happiness in the world, but not biblical joy. Now, what's the difference between happiness and biblical joy? 
Well, here is a definition. Joy can be defined as rooted in the character and promises of God, especially as they are related and revealed to us in Christ. Now, happiness, the worldly happiness and happiness of you and I, that emotion we feel, the worldly, um, and, and that's their definition of joy, but happiness is when our sense of joy comes from anything on the outside. When something good happens in your life, suddenly you get that new job, there is joy. Suddenly you, you suddenly uh, get some news that, that lifts your spirit and makes you happy and, uh, and, and there is joy. It's wonderful to have Jaron back with us. I see Jaron here. He's all the way back. Came home uh, from Word of Life. And uh, he is a basketball player on that team. And uh, from what I understand, you played in New York uh, Friday and Saturday. Okay. And what, what was the outcome of your games, Jaron? They won both games. Good job. Can, well, I'm, pr I'm proud of you. I, I think I overheard 22 points or something you scored. Okay. Yeah, on Friday he scored 22 points. So... He's MVP. Um, I make him MVP. But he, here, Jaron, after you won those games, what was your team experiencing? Was it? Yeah. Joy and happiness, right? Yeah, we won. You can imagine the bus ride and everything. We did it. We won. The joy of winning a sports game like that. That's happiness because of an experience that made us feel good, something we were hoping for, and it came true. But then what happens when you lose? What happens to that happiness if they were to lose? When you lose a, a, a game of some kind, suddenly you don't have that happy feeling. It's gone. And it disappears. You lost your job. One day you were happy, the next day you're not because you lost your job. Or you, you're, you're having problems in your marriage, in your home, having problems with a child. You've lost a loved one. You've lost a, uh, a friendship, whatever it may be. You may have gotten diagnosed with cancer. And then that happiness, if that's what we base our our emotions on is just the external circumstances in our life, we're going to find out that, that we're going to be up and down like a roller coaster. But joy is different. Biblical joy is different. Joy is, listen to this, joy is the deep soul level happiness that is a result of beholding by faith the beauty and wonders of Christ. There's a simple definition. Joy is the deep soul level happiness that is a result of beholding by faith the beauties and wonders of Christ. You see, biblical joy is rooted in a person, Jesus Christ, rather than external circumstances. And that's what we're going to be looking at and learning from the scriptures here this morning. You and I as believers can have a deep 
lasting joy in the midst of the worst circumstances we could ever imagine. But again, this, this joy is not the happiness you have over winning a game or something like that, the worldly happiness. No, but it comes from the object, Jesus Christ. Some of the best examples, we, we see uh, someone in the Old Testament. Uh, if you want to see an example of worldly happiness, look at the life of Samson, great Samson. But he was all, running all around trying to find happiness on the outside, trying to find this woman and that woman and, and just trying to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, and, and that would give him temporary happiness but not joy. But then you can see joy throughout Scripture. Uh, Joseph had it, of course. Joseph, and you notice that when he met his brothers, after all he'd been through, he was not angry, but he rejoiced that he was with them again. And all through the suffering he went through, he had that inner joy. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my, what? Strength. The joy of the Lord. Notice he didn't say, the joy is my strength. Period. No, the joy of the Lord. And here we have to understand first and foremost that joy, true joy, deep-rooted joy can only come from Jesus Christ himself, from the Lord himself. Notice he said that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Where's the joy found? Not in circumstances, he says, but my joy is found in you, Lord. My joy, that's where I find my joy, when we're focused upon the Lord. Now, there's a Greek word for joy, or rejoice is the word chara, C-H-A-R-A. And it describes that inner gladness or delight, no matter what the outside circumstances are. But again, we must understand that the joy comes from the Holy Spirit. As I submit myself to the Lord, and, and his, his control over my life, and my, I am focused upon him and his promises. Joy is produced by the Spirit, but joy for the Christian, here's the difference. Joy is a choice. We're going to see that. Joy is a choice. It, it's not something that I just you know, well, I'm waiting for that feeling, that good feeling, and then I'll have that inner deep joy. No, the scriptures, as we see, we will see uh, Paul and Peter as they speak of it, that joy is a choice. I choose joy. And that can happen in any circumstance, in any position I'm in. So turn with me now. We're going to find the answers to joy and, the, and how strong it can be in 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you'll go over to 1 Peter 1 with me. 
But I just want to pick out one verse, and then we're going to look at the verses preceding and following, verse 6. So 1 Peter 1, verse 6. Look what Peter says as he writes to the churches. Now remember, as he's writing this letter, the church, the new believers, the new church has been scattered. For these are people who've, who've accepted Christ and follow Christ, but now they are being persecuted for their faith. And so they are on the run, and they, they, many of them had lost everything. And they're experiencing great, great suffering, sorrow, grief, seeing loved ones carried away to be thrown into the arena, to be fed to wild animals. And this is what Peter writes then to them. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. You've been distressed by various trials. I like the way the King James Version translates it. And if you have a King James, it reads this. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through many manifold temptations. Now that word temptations, translated in the Greek, means testing. But here, Peter is talking about something strange. When you consider your tri various trials and suffering. And what is that? He says, in this you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though I'm going through trials that are tearing me apart, tearing my family apart, yet I am to have ex great joy. I have to re greatly rejoice. How is that possible? How is it possible to experience the sorrow and grief of a trial and at the same time experience joy? And this is like a command, he's saying. And, and what is the secret here? Well, there's, there's a, it's a paradox, it seems, uh, because, you know, how, you're, you're sorrowful, you're br brokenhearted, and yet at the same time, I am able to experience and choose to experience great joy and I can greatly rejoice. That doesn't make sense. How is that possible? Well, he says it is, but I want you to turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6.10. Look what the Apostle Paul uh, uh, has written to the church in Corinth. And actually, actually uh, <clears throat> yeah, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 6.10. And he's, he's writing about all the things they've been experiencing. Okay. What they're experiencing. Verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always what? Rejoicing. Do you see that? 
We are as so, we are so, can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all. See, it looks like a paradox, right? But Paul is saying the same thing Peter is saying. He's saying we experience sorrow, but at the same time, what does he say? Always rejoicing. Always rejoicing. You mean I can rejoice in, in, in the, the news that my dear brother, my brother Bevan, my only brother, is battling stage four cancer? And can he experience joy in that? Can... He, there is great sorrow. He's going through chemo. He's, he's battling f- for his life and doesn't seem to be winning right now. But if you sit down and are able to talk with him, I saw in my brother a joy. Oh, it wasn't, yay, I've got cancer, yay. You know, it was... It was a deep-rooted sense of delight in, in the Lord himself. For he was delighting in that, well, God's got this. He's got me and the situation under control. That God has a purpose and a plan. And so there the, the deep joy resides in the worst condition. And that's what Paul is talking about here. You know, we, we are to rejoice with, with one another. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Let's go over back to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Here Paul is writing to the church at Rome, Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Then verse 12, rejoicing in what? Hope, persevering in tribulation, Devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. And then verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Paul is talking about the joy we can experience with others. Notice you can, you, we are to rejoice with one another as believers in Christ, but we are also to weep at the same time. See, the world can't figure that out. They don't understand this kind of joy, biblical joy, that comes as a fruit of the Spirit in my life, that can be produced only by the Spirit himself. So turn back to First Peter, and I want you to look at First Peter again here. Because in verse 6, look at verse 6 again. The beginning of verse 6, he says, 
In this you greatly rejoice. Question. What is what does he mean by in this you greatly rejoice? What is the in this he's talking about? Well, we have to go back to the verses before this to find out the what this is. He's saying, in this you greatly rejoice. Well, what is that? Well, we find it back in verses 3, 4, and 5. Okay, so look with me now at verse 3. So turn to verse 3. Look what Paul writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why? So this is, the, this is what Peter is, is telling them to rejoice about. This is what we greatly rejoice about, even though I'm broken, even though I've got trial after trial and I'm I'm in the midst of the fire but Peter once first of all says praise the Lord blessed be God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to be born again why should believers have joy in the midst of their trial first of all we should rejoice Because of our new birth, you and I have been born spiritually, born again. We have have our new creation in Christ. When you accepted Jesus, something happened. You were transformed from the inside out. The Lord Jesus came into your heart through his Holy Spirit, and suddenly you are a new creation. the, the, The joy comes when I focus in on what God has given me through Jesus Christ. First, he's given me a new birth where I have become a child of God. Verse 4, what's next? To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. He's talking about now an inheritance. Secondly, second, thing, second reason to greatly rejoice, as Peter mentions in verse 6, is we should rejoice in our undefiled inheritance in Christ that is reserved for us in heaven. Did you know that you, you have a... Uh, uh, a storehouse in heaven that Jesus has set aside for you. And what is being placed in there are many rewards that one day you will receive at the judgment seat of Christ that I will receive for the good works we did. And he puts those awards and rewards aside. One day he will give them to us. They will come. Many of them come in the form of crowns that we, we read about it in the uh, throughout the book. Uh, books uh, of the New Testament, the crowns, but Jesus is going to reward us. There is a, when I became a Christian, suddenly I was, was written down 
My name's in the Lamb's book of life, and I have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 17, Paul declared that we are co-heirs with Jesus. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Let's go over to Ephesians 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. And here, concerning our inheritance, what have we received? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We should be holy and blameless before him. And we have been given this, We've every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In love, he predestined us, verse 5, to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have what? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, what? Upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Here are the riches of Christ. And how is it possible that you and I could receive forgiveness of sin? Such, a, a, such great riches of, as forgiveness of sin. And not only that, but given everlasting life. Because of the cross. Because our Savior redeemed us with his blood. And therefore, he's saying, you will now inherit the kingdom. Remember, he, he spoke many times of, uh, of his disciples inheriting the kingdom on earth. We are going to be part of that. How important it is for us to remember when I am truly sorrowful to remember, wait a minute. There's something wonderful happening in heaven that I have a inheritance, inheritance waiting for me that one day will be revealed. So we see it here. Again, Paul's trying to encourage the, the church. Turn back to First Peter now again. And let's pick it up then in verse 5. Verse 5, what is next? Okay, what is the thing that would cause me to choose to have great joy? And here it is in verse 5. Who, speaking of Christians, he's, he's writing to, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you have a King James Version, that word protected is translated kept. Who are being kept by what? The power of God through faith for salvation that someday will be revealed. We haven't seen our full salvation yet. We are fully saved, but we have not been fully revealed. 
where we have our glorified bodies and we will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye and we will all be like, have the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. But here, notice what he says. You, here's something to rejoice about. You're protected by the power of God. What's he talking about? He's talking about your salvation. He's talking about the the idea of having eternal security. Here is one of the verses that we turn to with with some who struggle with, am I really saved? Did, did, am I truly born again? Because Satan comes in and, well, we don't measure up and then Satan will work on our minds and our hearts and get us to think, man, I blew it again. I can't be a child of God. Uh, how can I? I must have lost my salvation. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not good enough for God. But see, that whole idea then is based on works, salvation by works. What does he say here? You, when you were saved, the moment you were redeemed and saved and received the Holy Spirit, you were being kept from that moment for all eternity. Kept what? By the power of God. Not my power, not someone else's power, but I am kept in his family and I am kept in Christ by the power of God. And that will be revealed one day when he returns, when he speaks of the last day there. So these are the things that Peter lays out before his, his readers saying, here are the things you need to focus on if you are going to rejoice in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your broken heart. I have things to rejoice about. And when I look at these things that God has given me through Christ, I can have a deep residing joy, a joy that keeps me calm, a joy that I know that no matter how bad it hurts, no matter how bad things look, I know that 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 the Lord is going to see me through. And I have these precious, precious promises given to me by the Lord. Now, sometimes our joy can be snatched away by sin in our life. And we all know that, right? David experienced that. David wrote in Psalm 51, 12, restore to me, anybody remember the rest? The joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, when, Satan, uh, when, when, when David sinned, he, he knew that fellowship was broken with his heavenly father. And what happened? Sin steals the inner joy, that deep joy that the Holy Spirit will give us. And until I confess my sin and make it right with God, I'm not going to get that joy. But oh, how wonderful it is when we confess and we find that we are restored again. And we, that fellowship is close again to the Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. So look with me here because we want to turn, turn, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. And what Paul says here 
concerning the trials. Because Peter said, was talking about trials that are only for a little while if necessary or for a season. Well, here in Second, Second Corinthians, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. 4.17. Look what Paul writes. For momentary light affliction, same thing Peter's writing about, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, our trials, all the problems of this world, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Like every trial we have to go through. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. And Paul says, our problem is that we don't realize, we, we don't get a grasp that what we are going through, the suffering we're going through is only temporary. He calls it, momentary light affliction to you this morning the pain you came in with you don't feel like it's a light affliction but in in view of 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 all eternity and god's plan it is light compared to what is waiting for us in in heaven what the lord has prepared for us and so paul is saying i need to see the invisible. I need to see the promises of God as if they are about to come true. Because as Peter said, here are the blessings of your salvation. Are you focusing on that? If I don't, then I am not experiencing the joy in the Lord. The joy in the Lord. He makes it clear. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.4, 4, the famous Verse we quote many times, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, yeah, remember that song we used to sing in, in, uh, when we were teens? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let's sing it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice, 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 say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice. Okay, let's do it as a round. No, no, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. But there it is. What, what is he talking about? What is Paul talking about? That I can rejoice in the Lord. Notice he says rejoice in the Lord again. He just doesn't say, oh, rejoice. Everything's fine. Everything's going to work out. No, Rejoice in the Lord, which means I focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, what I have in him, what he's promised to, uh, to give me in the future, but what I have now. That I am, I, I am a child of God. I've been sealed into the family of God. No one can pluck me out of the hand of Jesus. Jesus said it. Out of my hand or my father's hand. I've got all those precious promises. And that's why... I can have that deep joy in the midst of my time of suffering. In my great time of suffering, we can experience that joy.
One of God's faithful missionaries, Alan Gardiner, experienced many physical difficulties and hardships through his service to the Savior. And despite his troubles, he said this, While God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me. Failure will not daunt me. He wasn't afraid of failure because he knew where his strength lay. The joy of the Lord was his strength. In 1851, at the age of 57, he died of disease and starvation while serving on Picton Island at the south tip of South America. When his body was found, his diary lay nearby. And it bore the record of hunger, thirst, wounds, and loneliness. He experienced it all in the way of suffering. But the last entry in his little book showed the struggle of his shaking hand as he tried to scribble it on with what strength he had left. left. He wrote, I am overwhelmed with the sense of... Of the goodness of God. All that, at the end, he says, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. There is the joy waiting for you and for me, no matter what's happening. If I would set my mind and focus upon the Lord. Jesus Christ, fix my eyes on him and realize the goodness of God. That I can realize the goodness of God. Yes, we are going to be tested. We are going to be brought through the testing time by the fire. But Job, uh, look at the life of Job. When Job was tested, he lost everything. And what did he say in chapter 1 of Job? He's, it, we read, then Job arose after he lost his family, his, his possessions. He tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell down on the ground. And anybody remember what he did? He worshipped. He worshipped the Lord then. That's impossible. How can I worship the Lord when everything's been taken from me? It's because Job had the deep residing joy of the Lord in his life. And then later in Job 23.10, he remembered what he said. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, what? I shall come forth like gold. I shall come forth like gold. In closing, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews. After listing all the great heroes of the faith, those that were tested and tried, many of them killed for their faith, yet what kept them going? It was a joy. Verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance or weight and the sin which so easily entangles or besets us, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, how do we run the race with endurance in this life? Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. And here it is. Who for the joy set before him, what did he do? Endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author and finisher of our faith. Notice it says right there. He, uh, that the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, and he endured the cross. Notice it doesn't say he had joy in the cross. No, Jesus uh, looked forward to what was beyond the cross, what the cross would do for, for you and for me, redeeming mankind. And then he would rise from the dead, and he would be back with his father in heaven, and one day he would reign on earth again, one day with us. All this, that was the joy that was set before Jesus, and therefore he kept his eyes on that as he went to the cross. And therefore he could endure the cross. And the same is being said for us. If I fix my eyes on Jesus and him alone, I can endure this life and I can endure the race. This past Thursday, the family of Marilyn Regal gathered around for a graveside service. There at that service, we shared some scripture, some thoughts. But then we were going to sing a song. Now, if you pick a song at a graveside of a loved one, what song would you pick? Think about it. What kind of song would you choose? You know, you, th you think of some, some, you know, that, uh, that the, the peace of God or something that, that, that maybe is solemn. But John Regal, before we, before, earlier in the week, had asked me, could we sing a song? And this is the song I'd like to sing. We sing it down in our men's Bible study. He says, I think we need to sing it around Maryland. There was the coffin. And so the family all gathered around. And you know what song he picked? I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. What? Why would you pick that song? A song, a happy song, a joyful song? It's because the family had joy in their heart, deep joy, at the same time they were experiencing grief. At the very same time, there was that inner joy, knowing the promises of God, knowing that according to God's word, Marilyn was in heaven with now with her beloved husband, Ron, reunited, and with her Lord Jesus Christ, no longer suffering, no more pain, and in that they rejoiced. And that was their comfort. And so they were able to sing, I'll fly away, O glory. I'll fly away. Because that is their hope as well, that they will see Maryland someday. And that's our hope, dear believer. 
Would you keep your eyes this week fixed on Jesus Christ that you might experience the joy of the Lord, this wonderful fruit of the Spirit that we all can know even in the darkest times. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed this morning before the Lord. Dear Christian, if you've been struggling to find the joy of the Lord, He's ready to fill your heart with his joy. Would you just say, Lord, I want that joy. Lord, I'm focusing my my heart now upon thee, fixed on thee, your promises, what you have given me, what you're going to give me, what I have in you, and that there is a great future. Lord, lift, Lord, my heart in the midst of my sorrow and suffering. Give me that joy, Father, that you promised I could have. Would you make that decision, Christian? If you're here without Christ, you have no joy. You've never experienced it in your life, but you want it. Come to the Savior. Come to Jesus Christ and come to that cross. He will cleanse you of your sin, forgive you, and make you a child of God. If you're ready to make that decision and accept Christ as your Savior, pray with me now. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, pray quietly in your heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I am sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and you took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. And with heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now born again spiritually. You're part of the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for showing us once again what real joy is and how we can experience it as your children. Father, thank you for any decisions made for Christ. And I pray we might leave here with joy in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we conclude with a song...